today, we're going to look at Matthew 16. And I really do sense that the Lord wants to address us. And speak to us as individuals. And speak to us as a local church. And so let's read this together. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 18. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we do thank you for your word. Lord, how kind of you to not only come to this world and clothe yourself in flesh, but breathe out words that we can still gather around today so that we can hear your voice. Not only what you said then, but what you're saying to us now through these words. Father, would you be with us today through the Spirit as he points to the Son Oh, Lord, would we delight in you and all that you have done, all that you are doing, and all that you will do. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Ralph Goodall was an outstanding golfer. He played golf in the 1930s and was unique in that he won back-to-back U.S. Opens as well as winning the Masters Championship, all by the time he was just 27 years old. Even though Ralph is so rarely heard of today, it was said of him that he was the best golfer in the world during that season of time. But during his 27th year of life, Ralph suddenly seemed to lose all his golfing ability. He so-called fell off a cliff with regard to his golf. The reason for this is that he wrote a book about how to play golf. Part of the process of doing that involved a man taking pictures of him, playing different golf shots, Pictures that would then be put together in the style of a flip book where you flip the pages and the pages become like a moving picture. Unfortunately, as this was being prepared, the photographer took pictures of Ralph's golf swing from what appeared to be a strange angle. The camera was too far in front of him. And so when Ralph later looked at the pictures, it appeared that the golf ball was too far in front of him during his swing. As Ralph studied the pictures over some time, he got into his mind that he was playing the ball in the wrong place. And so he decided to change his entire golf swing. As a result, Ralph Goodall never recovered his good golf form ever again. His game simply disappeared, and he completely fell off the rankings, all because of a wrong perspective. In a perspective... Matters. It mattered to Ralph in this moment. He was a great golfer, and then he started to suck, all because the, the photographer had taken it from the wrong angle. But perspective actually matters in all of life, doesn't it? For those of you that are married, 
Understanding where God fits into our marriages makes a massive difference on our perspective. That perspective makes such an informed decision into what we're really living for in our marriages that makes a massive play out in the way we live our lives. But those of us with families, understanding where God fits into family makes a massive difference in how we then live for him and what we do as we seek to parent our children. As we go through trials as individuals and as a church at different times, perspective matters, doesn't it? I remember when we were going through a trial with Josh when he was born, and particularly during his heart surgery and that he had, I remember us going in for heart surgery and we were nervous of what was going to take place. But we were in a room with four other people who were also having the same operation, some more serious than our sons. And all of them did not know the Lord. And I remember thinking that night before Josh's operation, you know, perspective really matters. We had something to hold on to that they, they didn't at all. They were lost. Perspective in all of life, in trials, in marriages, in relationships, in what we do with our money, our energy, our giftings, it matters hugely when we understand where does God fit into this picture. And perspective matters then in church life as well. See, church life, particularly when you're planting a church, is somewhat of a roller coaster. And for those of you that have been around for the last four years, you'll know that to be true. There are many highs in church planting. There are moments when you just want the ride to go on forever because it's totally exhilarating as you see what's going on. And then there are many lows where you just want to get off. And that's the nature of church planting. It's full of highs and it's full of lows. And I think over the last four years, we've experienced all of those. And without a divine perspective in the process of church planting, I think in the highs, we can be tempted towards pride. I certainly can. I mean, when we first started every Sunday, I was just saying, I thank God for this local church. It's the best church in the world. And then the next week, this church is amazing. It's probably going to take Sydney for Jesus by week three. And I remember the guys from my old church contacted me and said, we're going to set up a website for you, ilovemychurch.com. And then could you just comment in that rather than flooding our Facebook with all this stuff all the time? And actually, although I was enthused by what was going on, there was pride going on. I wanted people to know, look what God is doing. Look, we're being successful. And in the highs, without a divine perspective on church, I think pride can be our story. And then we know it's the case because in the lows, we start to become profoundly discouraged. Well, the church doesn't seem to be growing like it used to be. I don't know. Relationships don't seem to be as tight. Maybe this is the wrong church for us. Maybe we'll find another church. And then as a pastor, you're looking on at that thinking, you loved it three weeks ago. Now you hate it. Not a lot's changed. Without a divine perspective, we're always susceptible, I think, to pride when it's going well and profound discouragement when we perceive things to be going badly. Well, today, four years in, I think part of growing up as a local church and maturing as a local church is understanding and grasping God's divine perspective on our local church. And here's what it is, and I think it's profound. Sovereign Grace Church, as part of the Bride of Christ, is a place that is being built by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That's staggering. But it is his perspective on our church.
as part of the bride of Christ, as part of his church that he's gathering, Sovereign Grace Church, this local church, is therefore being built by Jesus Christ himself. And we see that in Matthew chapter 16. The background to this passage and these verses that we've read today is Jesus, he comes into the district of Caesar of Philippi, and he asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? See, he's fully aware that all the people out there are saying, well, you know what, yeah, you seem like a decent bloke. Maybe you're like, you know, maybe you're Jeremiah, maybe John the Baptist, maybe Elijah, or maybe just another prophet. But Jesus wants to know of his disciples in this moment, but who do you say I am? What's your perspective on me? And Peter then, on behalf of all the disciples, he is really the apostolic delegate in talking in this moment. He says to Jesus, I'll tell you who we believe you are. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's a profound statement. As Peter says, having been with you, I'll tell you who I believe you are. You're the Christ. You're the Son of God. Well, Jesus Christ in that moment ensures that in that moment, Peter and all the apostles, according to Ephesians 2 verse 20, form the very foundation of the house of God, the local church, And it would be upon the very apostolic foundation and into that which Jesus would then give this promise to them. Peter, on you and on these men that you represent as you talk in this moment, I will build my church. What an incredible, inspiring promise. And what a staggering truth to Peter and indeed to us now. Those five words are so packed with meaning, aren't they? I will build my church. I, not just anybody, but the King of kings and Lord of lords. The great I am. The one that can say to the storms, be still, and they stop. The one who can say to to demons, come out, and they respond, understanding that he's the king. The one who can walk into a tomb with Lazarus where he's been dead and says, rise. And this guy rises from the dead. The one to whom all authority in heaven and earth has been given. I will. There's something you can be sure of, Peter. There's something you can know as disciples. I will build. I will take people from every tribe and language and nation. I will put them together. I will build them together as a temple. For this body of people that I gather, not even the gates of hell will be able to prevail against them. For anybody that I've called, they will win for Jesus Christ. Anybody that they go after with the gospel, as I open their eyes, not even the gates of hell will be able to stop them from interacting with me. I will build my. This just won't be any random group of people. These will be people who I know by name. Who I will give my life for. Who I will die on a bloody cross in Calvary for. Peter, I will build my church. I'm going to die for them. And I'm going to take them from different tribes and languages and nations. And I'm going to build them together through my death into my bride. Now, what a comfort and what an exhilaration that must have been to Peter in that moment, don't you think? 
Has Peter got an important part to play along with the other disciples? For sure. Very important. They're key to seeing the gospel spread. But who is ultimately building everything you see in church? Jesus Christ himself. Peter, it's on you. I will build. My friends, what an encouragement and exhilaration that must have been to Peter in that moment. And I submit to you, if we are observant of this text and understand how this text works and how it works in our lives today, we will be exhilarated by it today. Because what you realize is that promise did not finish when Peter died. All we see here is the beginning of the promise. And that promise still continues today and tomorrow and the day after that until Jesus returns. Isn't that incredible? Who then is building Sovereign Grace Church? Is it me? No. It's the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He's the one. He's the one that's taking us and building us together. And I believe the Lord wants to inspire us with that truth today. I believe he wants to humble us with that truth. So that there will not be anyone amongst us thinking, oh, check it out, haven't we done well? I want us to know by the end of the day, hasn't the Lord done well? Look at what he's done. And I believe also the Lord wants to fill us with faith. Because I think it's often when we review our past and we see how God has interacted with our past. And we realize then that he will never change. That it gives us faith for the future, doesn't it? Because there's so many things that we don't know of as we continue to build this church, as we continue to move forward. But knowing who he is that builds it changes everything. So I've got three points this morning, which is in some ways almost a testimony of our church, a bit of a story of our church. But they're all aimed to show us how Jesus has been involved all the time, that we may be humbled, that we may be inspired that we may be filled with faith as we move forward. So number one, his past building. What has Jesus done in the past as it pertains to this local church? You know, I once heard someone liken church planting to like that of trying to get a raft full of people off a desert island. And I remember thinking, that is really weird until I planted a church. And then I realized planting a church is like getting, trying to get a raft full of people off a desert island. You know, you're rowing off this island. There is the shore coming onto you every time you turn. And, and it can be exhilarating, but it can be challenging. And so you jump on this boat, you know, and everybody's like really excited about being on the raft. Everybody thinks this is the best raft they've ever seen in the entire world ever. So everybody wants to get on the raft. And you start going out on the raft. And before you know it, the waves of the challenges of church planning start to come on you. And after a while, some of the people on the raft in the first place that really like the raft jump off the raft because they don't like the raft anymore. And other people get on the raft. And meantime, there's still a few of us still rowing, trying to get out the waves. <laughs> it's a real challenge, planting a church. And if there's any of you that want to plant churches, I, I, you have my deepest respect. And if I believe amongst the other leadership team that you are called to that, you will have my full support and you will have my full respect. And I will be praying for you regularly because it is hard. As you get in that raft and you leave, there are exhilarating times. There are really challenging times. And there are times as you are rowing, trying to get off the island, wondering if you're ever going to make it. But you know, for me, the thing that kept me going, actually, throughout the whole time, 
in the good times and indeed in the challenging times that we had as a local church in starting this church was remembering how God had brought our church about in the first place. Remembering our history. That's what kept me going. Because you realize as you review our history, this church started with him, not us. See, it was in 2004 that a guy by the name of Michael Pasolich first approached Sovereign Grace Ministries. Mike was reading Sovereign Grace books. He was listening to Sovereign Grace CDs. And he just, you know, very quickly felt a real burden for, I just want to be a part of Sovereign Grace. And I want Sovereign Grace to come and plant a church in my city. And so he kept reading stuff, kept listening to stuff. And he writes an email to C.J. Mahaney, who's the founder of Sovereign Grace Ministries and was the leader of Sovereign Grace Ministries at that time. And said, dear C.J., can you come and plant a church in Sydney? I think we really need it. And I want to do all I can to make that happen. Well, CJ got back to him and said, look, thank you, Michael, for that. Um, It's a very long way away, though. And I think there's no way we could really support that type of ministry, not because we don't want to, but because of the way we structure and build churches, it would be very hard to, to build a church on the other side of the planet, especially when you have nothing in the southern hemisphere. Well, Mike, being Mike, just wrote again two months later. He rewrote another message saying, you know, I get that, but could we not plant a church here? I'm sure there's a way. He felt such a burden to see Sovereign Grace Ministries plant a church in this city, his beloved city of Sydney. Well, in 2006, through a series of conversations with a man called Steve Shank, who was at that time leading a church in Arizona on the west coast of America, Mike actually left the Sydney shores to go and be a part of a church in America, a Sovereign Grace church, to take on an internship there. And to find out more about Sovereign Grace. Mike at that time wasn't sure if he was up for planting a church or not. His main burden was he just wanted a church planted. And you know, if that's what it means, then I'll, I'll, I'll be the pastor. I'll do whatever needed to make this church work. He felt such a burden for that. So in 2006, he moved to America. He then was, did an internship in America in a church there, in Bob Donahue's church there, in a covenant life. He then went to pastor's college in 2007 for one year. And at the start of 2008, he arrived on my doorstep in Christchurch, Wales. The last part of his internship in terms of planning a church in Sydney was to come and do an internship in my local church with myself and and the senior pastor, Pete Greasley, to try and help Mike and train Mike and assess Mike to see if the Lord really would be calling him to plant a church in Australia. I'd never at that point ever thought about coming to Australia, even on holiday. It's a very long way. But Pete asked me if I would help Mike and assist Mike, not to move here, but just actually, you know, kind of help him and assess him and then maybe do some traveling over here and help him plant the church. But it was during that year of Mike's internship in 2008 that really it became apparent, I think, to us as a leadership team, to Mike himself and to Sarah, that you know what? The Lord doesn't seem to be raising you up as the planter of this church. And Mike himself was saying, I think you're right. I only ever said I wanted Sovereign Grace to come and plant a church here. And Sarah was saying, you know what, I think that's true. I just don't think Mike's ready at this point. And and so there was a group starting to gather in Sydney. There was excitement in Sydney about Sovereign Grace coming here, but we had no one to lead it. And it was during that time that my wife and I were out for breakfast. And I was the executive pastor of Christchurch. It was a church that I'd been in since I was 18 years old. And there was every intention that I was going to become the senior pastor of that church. It was at that time leading Sovereign Grace in the UK. And I'd been there for 
17 years prior to arriving here. And I thought I would die there. My family are there. Emma's family are there. And we dearly love the people that we served alongside and were a part of. But we went out for breakfast one morning. And my wife just inquired, you know, what's happening in Australia now? And I said, oh, yeah, well, you know what? Mike's just not feeling he can plant the church. And I think he's right. And he said, oh, right. Well, who's going to lead it? Well, we haven't got anyone. Well, what type of guy do you think might be needed to go plant the church there? And, all right, you know, I think you'd... I went into preaching mode at that point. I think he's going to need to be this, this, and this, and this. And as I listed them off, she just said, well, well, you sound like that type of guy to me. And then went, <laughs> At which point I went, <laughs> And genuinely, and this has only happened twice in my life, once when I called to pastoral ministry and then that time with Emma, we knew there and then that the Lord was calling us to go to Australia. We had never thought about moving here. My wife had never been. I'd only been for five days. But we really felt a resonation straight then of maybe he is. Now that kind of blew us away very quickly. We went home. It was a Monday, my dad. We went home and I'm like, I can't think about this anymore because this is just too full on. This would be a major move and I, I don't think I can even cope with the thought. And she was like, yeah, it's quite upsetting. So we turned the TV on and, and uh, Wanted Down Under was on the TV. I thought, this is just horrendous. Turn that off. The DVD player came on. It was the Wiggles live from Sydney Opera House. You're like, Lord, you're clearly speaking, but this is a nightmare. It was just a, such a difficult scenario. And so we wrestled with it for a couple of weeks and just thought, you know, maybe we're just eating something bad or something's just weird's going on. And I spoke to my senior pastor about it at the time. I was aware there could be a whole mix of motives as to why I felt that maybe the Lord was calling us to do that. And so I said, Pete, you know, we really sense that the Lord may be moving us to Australia. And he said, well, that's great. No. Okay. It was a short conversation. He said, no, seriously, tell me more about it. I said, well, this has happened. And he said, you know, I really respect you and Emma for even thinking about that. But you just can't. With everything that we've got planned here in this church, Emma, for what that's going to look like, we've been building for this for years, which we had, and I just don't think you can do it. And I said, yeah, I didn't think so either, but, you know. And he said, but I will pray about it. Well, he did pray about it um, over three months, actually. And during that three months, Emma and I still really sensed that the Lord was going to bring us to Australia. I had one of my dear friends, Patrick Chavez, who's helped us plant this church and now leads a church in Hornsby Heights Baptist Church. Um, I remember him emailing me during that time. No one had a clue that the Lord had put on our house to move to Australia apart from Emma and I and Pete. And he emailed me saying, look, I just want you to know, I really believe the Lord's put on my heart to tell you that you should consider moving to Australia. So that's very interesting. Thank you for that. Um, you know, just think, what, what's that all about? How does that work? I remember at the same time, there was a couple in our church, Kyrie and Christina Williams, who came in and knocked on our door at the church one day and, and asked to speak to Pete. And Pete said, oh, you can come in as well. So Pete and I sat down with them and they said, well, just want you guys to know, you know, we just really feel the Lord's put on our heart to move to Australia. And I'm sitting there going, I couldn't say that. But I'm just like, really? Oh, that's interesting. That's very interesting. And they said, you know, I don't know how it's going to work out and who's going to be leading it. What's going to look, but you'll just sense that and okay, well, that's very interesting. And so they left, and I'm like to Pete, I feel it too, and it just didn't go anywhere. And eventually, another Monday when my wife and I were out, we, we were discussing it, and she was actually tearful because she really felt the Lord was stirring us to go to Australia. She was actually dealing with the emotions of that, even though at that point we weren't heading here. And she said, you know what, maybe we should go back to Pete and ask again. And we both discerned on that moment, you know what, let's not bring it up again. 
Because this would be such a massive move for us. We want to know the Lord's really in this. And that we haven't manipulated this situation. That was the Monday. Tuesday morning, 9 a.m. He knocks on my office door and says, I need to speak to you. I said, yeah, that's good. What do you want to speak to me about? I think you should be going to Australia. And from that point on, our our mission was to, to move here. And to come here. And during that time, it was just an amazing, an amazing series of time. Simon and Michelle Woods came to us and also started to talk about how the Lord had put a burden on their heart to move to Australia. And if we were coming, could they come with us? And it's like, oh, let me think about that. Yes, yes, you can. Yeah, so, you know, it's just like, this is the Lord's doing. Patrick and Meg Chavez had already moved to Newcastle, thinking that Sovereign Grace were actually going to plant there, which is the, the plan once upon a time. And I said, you know, I'm going to be leading it. I've never been to Newcastle, but I don't think I'm going to fit there. I want to go to Sydney. I want to plant a church in Sydney. I said, oh, okay. So they started to move back. And Mark and Bianca started to be really enthused about what the Lord was going to be doing here and wanted to be a part, which was just an absolute thrill. I remember a guy calling me up from Archie, wherever it is. Is that right? Say. Archie, same place, you know, it's just, one's a name, one's a, Archie, and just this guy, and he was just like, look, I'm a Misho, and I'm like, a Misho, that, I don't know what that is, but I think that's somebody, okay, that's great, I'm Dave, um, so I'm a Misho, and just, I've been, I've been looking at some of the Sovereign Grace stuff, it looks amazing, and I just want to be a part of it, and I'm like, oh, oh great, what's your name, Brendan, oh, Brendan, great, so I sent him loads of stuff, and he's reading it, and, and we were Skyping regularly, and just the Lord was stirring in his heart, of, I want to be a part of this plant, I want to come back to Sydney, and I want to help build this church, and I remember receiving another call by a man named Jesse Fenn, and I remember thinking, oh, Jesse Fenn, that's an interesting name, straight on Facebook, saw a picture of him, and thought, oh my, <laughs> oh Lord, please, you know, this man, how is this going to be possible? I remember just thinking, kids, we'll lock them up. This is a dangerous man. <laughs> and then just actually talk to him and realize, man, this guy's a humble guy. And the Lord wants to, you know, clearly call him to be a part. They'd actually been looking for a local church. Liz's dad in Texas said, I've just found out Sovereign Grace are planting in Sydney. They're like, that's unbelievable. Who are they? So they told him, and they're like, oh, that's amazing. But dad, Sydney's a big place. So he got online, where are you planting? Hornsby. They live in Arcadia. And they just realized, this is the Lord. This is the Lord's doing. And the Lord slowly but surely just brought a a whole load of people together that we couldn't have manufactured. Folks, what I want you to know in all of this story is these were exciting days. They were exhilarating days. But they were exhilarating days because they were days marked by God's initiative. It wasn't our initiative. It was him. He was weaving people together. He was taking people from different tribes and languages and starting to bring them together to start building a local church, which was his doing. As a group of people started to meet here, I wasn't even here. But people are starting to be stirred and coming together to help put the foundations down for this church. These were exciting days because they were days marked by God's initiative and they were days that I believe God never wants us to lose sight of because they were markers of his grace and markers of his faithfulness. And the truth is that grace and that faithfulness never stopped. Let's look at now number two then, his present building. So over the last four years, I've had the privilege... Um, of seeing so much of this church up close and personal. 
And through the good stuff and through the challenging stuff, watching people and enjoying people and seeing the grace of God working in people's lives. And one thing's for sure, God's fingerprints of grace are all over this church and always have been. It's always been his evidence and his working in our local church. And his fingerprints of grace are everywhere. For those of you with small children, you will know what a television screen looks like after 10 minutes after you've unwrapped it. Because all they want to do is touch it. And when you turn it off, you just see fingerprints everywhere. Well, that's what this local church is like when it comes to the Lord. His fingerprints are everywhere in our midst. His fingerprints of saving grace. Ange Eastwood, four years ago, was not even walking with the Lord. And yet my wife was talking to her at a school gate, seeking to reach out to her, seeking to get to know her name, who she was. Her daughter started coming along to a kids' club. And then, you know, we simply described the kids' club so that we could invite people to church at the end. And I said, oh, come and have a look. And Okay, that would be great. We'd love you to come. And My wife is building a relationship with her throughout that time. And over a series of Sundays then, the Lord just starts ministering to Ange. God breaks in on her life. She gets saved. We do baptisms that afternoon. She's the first person that I've seen saved in the morning and then wants to get baptized in the afternoon. Four years ago, not working with the Lord at all. Idy, just seeing God break in on Idy's life. And see, to come to know the Lord just clearly and passionately loving Jesus. Brianna, one of my daughter's friends, who came to youth. And just gave a life to the Lord and then sat with my own wife and said, how do I get a Bible? I just want to read a Bible. And so my wife gave her a Bible and then we have Leanne, her mother, come and say to us, she reads a Bible all the time. Have you got like any more stuff you can give her? And you just think, Lord, you're breaking in on people's lives. His evidence of saving grace is in our midst. And I trust these are just the first fruits of how we're going to grow as a local church through new believers. We've also experienced restoring grace, haven't we? I think of folk like Chris and Alison Page. Chris and Alison were with us on the very first Sunday that we gathered in Normanhurst Boys High School four years ago. They came because a friend had invited them, and they just came to sort of be a little bit supportive to the friend that invited them. They had no interest in coming back. And they came that morning, and God blew them away. They had a church background. They weren't going to church. They weren't interested. But God ministered to them. They came back the next week and the week after that and the week after that. And a number of months later, we were baptizing them. And I'll never forget as Chris Page was just standing behind a counter before he, before he got baptized. And he was just sharing about how God had blown away his life, how he'd become amazed by grace, how he'd only come to this church by accident doing a friend a favor. And yet how God had ministered to him. Isn't that incredible restoring grace? And they're just an example of two of many. The amount of you that arrived in our church and expressing to me or one of the other leaders how tired you were, how burnt out you were, how your marriage was already at a point of near death, how you hadn't been to church for ages. And yet now, if I was to call you out, people would go, really? Them? I wouldn't have guessed that. That's the Lord's doing, isn't it? That's his grace. That's him bringing people into our presence, bringing people together and then ministering his gospel to them and encouraging them in the way only he can. He's given a sustaining grace, which you've seen numerous times over the last four years. For sure, sparks fly up. Troubles fall. It's a fact. 
And yet God gives a sustaining grace. And when you're in a local church, you see it time and time and time again, don't you? God ministering to people. I think of people with chronic fatigue, which have had a number of folk that have had that. Different illnesses that have been really traumatic that we've seen and observed over the last four years. And I won't call you out because I don't want to embarrass you, but I commend the way you as people, as individuals, walk through painful, difficult health issues for the glory of the Lord. Your trust in the Lord is motivating. It's inspiring. And every time I see that, I, I engage with the person and I have respect for the person, but my tendency then is to go, Lord, this is your doing. This is you. This is you ministering to people's hearts, giving people courage and strength and sustaining grace in the midst of trial. Think of Melody Willis recently in jail in Russia. It's not the average run-of-the-mill church year when that happens to you. And yet receiving emails during that time where she's handwritten, you know, Brendan, just let the church know that I love them, that I'm for them, that I'm praying for them, and God is being good to me. That doesn't make sense in the natural. That's a work of his grace. That's his sustaining grace, building people together. I think of Alex and Amy Shaw when we first started the church years ago. And young Mary, they were at a friend's house for a party. And young Mary stood on a piece of sand where they'd only just moved a very heavy, hot barbecue. And she was tiny and stood on it, burnt her feet, jumped up, put her other foot on top of the other foot, and then really was in the process of needing skin grafts for her feet. And at exactly the same time as they started to go to hospital to sort that out, Amy went into labor for Boaz. And just their confidence in the Lord during that time, their faith that he's good, he's with us, we can trust him. And you know what? The way this church cares for each other, I commend you for the way you care for one another. But I want you to know in the way you care for one another, that is not natural outside of the saving grace of God. The way you give money to one another, the way you give time to one another, the way you carry one another's burdens is an absolute evidence of his grace, of his building of this local church. You know, I remember when my friend Dan Gavetta, and one of the pastors at Christchurch, who's five years younger than me, and died a year and a half ago. He went to CrossFit, had a bleed on his brain, died immediately. And Emma and I, there was no way we could have afforded to go back. Um, and we wanted to go back, wanted to care for his wife, wanted to attend his funeral, wanted to care for the church. And then that season, we had three or four different people Say, so we want to pay for you to go back to Christchurch. That was amazing. And to be honest, I think for Emma and I, that was the distinct moment when we knew this is our home. Because God's knitted us together with people who we barely know, really. And yet the care of people. There are people in this church that have been giving anonymously to different people in this church over the last 12 months just to offer care. One of the great joys of being a pastor is I get to know things that you don't know. And I get to say, Lord, this is your doing. This is your building. This is you taking people that four years ago didn't even know each other and building them together as family. 
in a way that they really are caring for one another and carrying one another's burdens for the glory of the Lord. What about sanctifying grace? There's been plenty of that going around. God in his grace ministering to people's hearts. I remember Janelle Pierce, who was Smith when we started some four years ago. And we started with a whole series on Ephesians. And so I'm just preaching. And every week there was this girl in the midst that I didn't know very well that was just weep week after week after week. And I remember saying, Janelle, what are you weeping about? And she just communicated how prior to coming to Sovereign Grace, she had consistently struggled with maybe she would not make it to heaven. Maybe she'd end up in hell. Maybe the Lord would remove her. Maybe she was never fully in. And yet as she wept, they were tears of joy as they realized he chose me before the foundation of the world. He came after me. This was his doing. I was dead, but now I'm alive in Christ. And you saw God's grace all over her as she went from a lady who was fearful about what was going to happen to absolute assurance on the Christ that she stands. That's the work of the Lord. I remember Sue Crowley, who joined us and during her baptism just said, you know, I just want to grow in joy. And we got to see over months that became years her growing in joy and say, Lord, that's your work. That's your evidence of grace. I think of Oliver Pierce, who arrived in our church pretty much on week one. And I remember you joining the church. You may not remember. But I remember you joining the church and you're just saying, the worship is kind of different to what I'm used to. But I really want to grow in just worshiping the Lord in body, mind, and spirit. And now I look at him as I lead worship. If there's anybody going to go, woohoo, it's probably Ollie. You know what I'm saying? And the next one will be Alex, who just clapped. (laughs) Folks, this is the Lord's doing. This is the Lord bringing people together and changing people's lives. No minister, no friend could ever change somebody's heart, ever. But the Lord can in a moment. And then I think of provisional grace. Since our church's very inception, God has provided for us incredible ways. Financially, as a local church, we've rarely gone without. We've never been overly loaded. We've never gone without. The Lord's blessed us time after time after time. And whenever we've taught you about giving, you respond in faith and joy, not because you've been manipulated, because we're not going to manipulate you. We just talk about the truth and that God minister in your hearts and he gives then. He blesses us time and time again as a local church. In facilities. I mean, is this place incredible or what? I mean, I pinch myself at different times. We, we started at Normanhurst Boys High School, and we only started there because it was the only school that would let us have a facility. Every other school said no. You know, like, this is going to be awkward. Uh, we're going to be in a park or something at this rate. Normanhurst Boys High School said, yeah, sure. You're like, well, that's where we're going, then. We're going to start there. So we started there, and we'd been there for a long time, but felt that was coming to an end. I said to the guys, I really think we need to be moving to a new facility. What, really drove past a sign of another church that said they're meeting here. But where is that place? Went on the internet and thought, that's our place. That's where that place is. Contacted the guy and he said, we love that. Yeah, we'd love to have you in once they've gone. And you just think, Look, that, that's incredible. That's your doing. This place is incredible. Offices. We've never struggled for offices. For three and a half years, they were in our home. At three and a half years, my wife and I went crazy. So they're now in Thornley. And we thank God for that. We thank that the Lord blessed our local church with offices. And with this facility, it's the Lord's doing. 
And he's always consistently blessed us with personnel, hasn't he? And God's kindness, as you look around with what he's done, folks, it's his doing. For every role, musicians, PA, hospitality, setup, stewarding, projection, coffee, counting, creative, carers, prayers. Whatever it is, the Lord has blessed us, generations workers, kids workers. We have more teachers than, than the average school in this church. You know, it's just incredible. And yet people want to use their gifts to influence the kids. And you think, yes. That's the Lord's doing. He's given you gifts and abilities. You want to walk in obedience to him. You want to steward your gift and serve those kids for the glory of the Lord. Praise God for that. I can't get anybody to come here. We just open the doors and we see who the Lord brings. Administrative support. You know, Alice says she's pregnant. And you think, congratulations. What are we going to do? It's usually the way it goes. And then Rachel Pettit says, I find out that Oh, yeah, I'm just about to finish like a course in administration in July. Would that work? Let me think. Yes, that would work. And you just realize this is the Lord. This is the Lord's doing. And then leaders, to see leadership and develop in this local church over the last four years has been fantastic. Everyone and I rocked up, barely knew anybody. But to see all these guys and wives as life group leaders and so on and so forth, just incredible. We are rich. We are fat as a local church, in honesty. He's blessed us so very much. And it's all the Lord's doing. I remember a number of months ago, and when I was up one morning before church, and I was just praying. My mind works a bit strange, and for those of you who get to know me more, you'll realize that's really true. I was got up, in the, and I was praying, Lord, I just really think we need someone that's good at videos, because... I really want to get this new website cranking. And it's always better if you've got videos on there because more people go on videos and they read. But we haven't got anybody, so Lord, just to let you know. And I arrive at starting point that morning and I go around and I say, so, so, like, I don't know any of you guys, so could you, you, where are you from and maybe what do you do for a living? And so they go around and, and then we get to one guy. And what's your name? Oh, Andrew Ross. Oh, good. And what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a channel editor. Okay, good. Do you know how to do videos? Yeah, love to. Thank you, Lord. You know, this is the way it goes. My friends, the Lord is building this church. He not only initiated this local church in a way that we couldn't have even manufactured by ourselves. He is building this church. He is taking us from different people, different communities, and putting us together. And then he's calling us to come and play our part for the building up of his church, which ultimately he's building anyway. Is that not exciting to you? I mean, it's staggering to me. And that's having a divine perspective on a church rather than just a horizontal perspective. As you realize this is him. This is his work. You never know who's going to walk through the doors next. Because that's his work. Taking people. Bringing people. Part three in closing and in conclusion. His future building. Now, as a pastor, there are, there are so many things that I cannot be sure about. And I think that can be unnerving for a local church, but I'm just being honest. And the Lord has designed it so that there are many things that I and we cannot be sure about. James chapter 4, verse 13, it's the very thing the Lord is warning us of. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. 
Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Oh. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and that. It's pretty humbling, isn't it? Can I guarantee as a pastor that we will not experience a funeral in the next six months? No. Because we're all like a mist. Can I guarantee that our leadership team will remain exactly the same and we will endure no health issues? Of course not. I can't guarantee that I'll be here at Christmas because my life's just a mist. And the Lord does as he wills. Can I guarantee for us as a local church that we will always enjoy relational vibrancy as a local church, that there will always be sweet harmony of singing together and loving one another? No. Because a church is a family, and families fall out at different times. Why do you think the Bible talks so much about eagerly maintain the unity, eagerly stand together, eagerly be devoted to one another? Because the Bible knows full, full well that, oh my, the Lord is bringing together a group of sinners. Can I guarantee then that we will always feel on top of the world that this is the best church on the planet? No. No, I can't guarantee that. Can I guarantee that we will grow as a local church? Our heart is to grow. Our heart is to plant churches for the glory of the Lord in Australia. I believe it's a God-given burden to the best of my abilities. But can I guarantee it? No, I cannot. I can't guarantee that this church will grow at all. Because sometimes churches go through seasons where you grow in depth, but you don't grow numerically at all. Can I guarantee that we will always have financial stability in this church, that we'll always just be going great guns financially? No. I can't guarantee that. That's way out of my remit. So what can I be sure of? What can I guarantee? Well, here's what I can be sure of. Just like Paul says in Philippians 1 verse 6, I can be sure that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. That's what I can be sure of. I can be sure that in the midst of so many unknowns, because this local church was started by the Lord, he will build this local church. He will, as the good shepherd, continue to lead this church. He will build this church, which he promises to do as a part of the bride of Christ. And so although there are so many unknowns, because I know him, I have absolute rest for the road ahead. I could die tomorrow. This church would still thrive. How do I know? Because he's the one still building it. He's the good shepherd. He's the one that started us. He's the one that will carry us home. My friends, perspective matters. And the divine perspective that I believe the Lord wants to give us is that Sovereign Grace Church, as part of the Bride of Christ, is being built by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Isn't that incredible? It always was being built by him. He's the one that stirred our hearts and quickened our hearts to come here at all. He's the one that has been involved in so many of you as you go around the room, stirring you and cultivating you for you to come here. 
He's the one that then has built us together in his grace, with sustaining grace and saving grace and persevering grace and providing grace, bringing different gifts and abilities into the same temple so that we can build a church for his glory. And he's the one that will carry us home. Because he said to Peter in that moment, I will on you build my church. He's still doing it. Now seated at the right hand of the Father, he is still building his bride. And he will carry it on to the day of completion when he returns. It's inspiring, isn't it? And it's humbling. And would it would fill us with faith for the road ahead. Amen. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we do thank you for Sovereign Grace Church. Lord, we don't deserve to be here. Lord, we never want to just take this local church for granted as if, well, of course it's here. Lord, we want to recognize this is a part of your bride. This is a part of those that you died for. Lord, when we consider your passion for the local church, as seen at Calvary, Lord, would you help us to treasure and be passionate about your local church and the way you have been. And Lord, as you continue to build us, Lord, would we be sensitive to you? Would we come and use our gifts and abilities for the building of this church? And Lord, as she is built, would we recognize that it is your work? And would all glory then go to you? Because you are the great master builder. You're the one that took us when we were running headlong away from you. And you brought us into relationships, into a family, into an army, into a temple in which you reside. Lord, thank you. Thank you.